comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs, and one. Cal up top, Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. Watson, and a foul! This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. Aztec Nation, what's good? Welcome to another edition of the Eye Test. I'm your host, Kyle. You can follow me on Twitter, at CallMeKinslow. And you can follow the show, at Aztec Breakdown. Trones there as well. And joining me, like we do every single week, is our good buddy, Jacob and you can follow Jacob at Aztec Analytics. Jacob, how's it going today, my friend? It's going well, Kyle. How you doing? We're doing really good. We got a big game against uh, Utah State tonight, if you're listening on Wednesday Wednesday morning, hopefully. Um, a, a really good litmus test of did we get over the, the New Mexico loss, right? I think the last two games we were pretty pre- – I was pretty comfortable we were going to win, showed out in both games, and I think that, that tomorrow night or – Tomorrow night when we're recording. Tonight, hopefully, if you're listening on Wednesday, we're going to really see what this Aztec team can do. And then we got some good topics today. Some of them are some themes that you've heard on the Aztec Breakdown pod over the years. And then the last big point is one that I think you've, if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen me scream in all capitals and use curse words uh, surrounding it many times so far this year. But our first point tonight, we are going to take a look at dynamic Aztec score Matt Bradley. One of the biggest things that people will notice as a fan is Matt Bradley is a great scorer in isolation. And frankly, he carries this Aztec offense many, many times just by taking this guy one-on-one. And lately, we've been seeing more layups out of that set, which is fantastic. But a lot of times he's got that patented Matt Bradley mid-range jumper, or maybe he's pulling up for a contested three. The guy can hit shots so he can do it. But one of the points that we've always made on the Aztec Breakdown podcast is that catch-and-shoot Matt Bradley is the best version of Matt Bradley. So I'm hoping that Jacob today can back up my take and Trone's take and really everyone's take who's been associated with the podcast that Matt Bradley on catch-and-shoot is just a devastating weapon. Yeah, so I, I saw this on Twitter, and I know Trone was, uh, I wouldn't say arguing, but, you know, he's going back and forth with someone about, you know, Matt Bradley, that, that play that looked like a catch-and-shoot, and, you know, the topic was, you know, is Matt Bradley a good catch-and-shoot, or is he better ISO? So as a baseline, in isolation uh, this year, he's .80 points for possession in isolation, uh, which is good. It's, it's a little above average in terms of uh, the percentile rank, but it's good. Um, he's had 59 possessions in a catch and shoot scenario, which is uh, 42% of his possessions have been catch and shoot. Um, and he's scoring 1.14 points per possession, which is in the 70th percentile in the country. Mind you, he's only in the 11th percentile in terms of the amount of times he does catch and shoot, right? So he doesn't catch and shoot a lot, but when he does, he's super, super efficient. Um, 18 of those 59 possessions, he's labeled as unguarded and it's 1.33 points per uh, points per possession, which is, you know, really, really, really good. So he can shoot a jump shot when he's uncontested. I know 
in past, a lot of, you know, people said, oh, well, you know, his jump shot's too slow. It takes him too long to gather, this, that, and the other. The bottom line is, is when he's catching and shooting the ball, he is very, very efficient. Um, you know, 1.13 points for possession is really good, um, you know, for Matt Bradley, especially when he is able to dance with the best of them, get past his defender, really, really good um, isolation. His catch and shoot numbers, his points for possession increases by 15% when he's catching and shooting as opposed to his overall jump shot, you know, whether that's off of a, um, a screen or, or some sort of ISO. So when he is catching and shoot, as you guys mentioned, he's shooting and he's scoring at a better rate um, than when he's not. There you go. There it is. Data doesn't lie. Matt Bradley's most efficient scoring option is a catch-and-shoot jump shot, whether that's from three or two. It doesn't matter. And one of the things that is the most frustrating set in the Aztec offense is when Nathan Mensa has a perimeter touch. And I always say, nothing good ever comes from a Nathan Mensa perimeter touch. And they do this curl screen, like a ball, like a handoff screen with Matt Bradley to get him going downhill. That's something that they do frequently. I always felt that Matt has mastered the art of, of turning the corner on that screen and getting open. It's one of his most underrated skills and something that you can't quantify by metrics, right? It's, there's no data on how well he, a guy turns a screen. But for me, Matt Bradley does an excellent job of using his lower body. And we all know if you've ever seen Matt on the court, dude's yoked. Using his lower body to shield the defender and then his quickness to turn around the corner off of the Mensa screen to create space. Friends, if you just stick a guard with the ball on the other side of the wing, you are creating an, uh, uh, an open catch-and-shoot opportunity for Matt Bradley. This is the exact same play they would run for Jordan Shackle. The only difference <laughs> is it wouldn't normally be Nathan Mensa making the screen. It would be Matt Mitchell. And that's, I mean, to be fair, that's part of the reason it worked so well yeah. is because they literally had to respect both of those players, Matt Mitchell and Shackle, on, on the offensive side of the ball. Whereas I think... You still see it now. They're going to give Mensa a long jump shot any day of the week. Mm-hmm. He's taken them and making a few. He's made a few recently in, in this season, but that's not a shot that Dutcher wants. That's not a shot that we want. That's not a shot that this is. That's a shot that the other team is willing to concede on offense. And even though they're still going to have to go under the screen, right? Or or he- or hedge the screen so hard that they're trying to stop and and create opportunities for their defender to recover on D, but it's still going to have an action where it's putting the defense at a massive disadvantage. And when you are in crisis in some games and you're struggling to score, which the Aztecs have done for eternity, even though we have a great we this offensive ceiling of this team is outrageous. Some games you're just going to hit a slump. And that is a play that I would love to see them run as like a slump buster. Uh, but, yeah, who knows? I mean, I think it's – I think that that's a, that's a part of that, though, is 
and you probably agree with this, that's just not how Matt Bradley plays, right? It's no. it's just not in his DNA. Which is fine. Yeah, it's totally fine, right? Like you're you're not running Kobe off catch and shoot threes or catch and shoot screens. No. I mean maybe a few times, but you want the ball in his hands. And especially with this team, because and this is gonna transition into our next point. I think Matt Bradley puts more pressure on the defense than any Aztec player. Not it's not even close. And when you have a team that doesn't really have a pure shot creator or a pure pass-first guard, having the ball in his hands isn't the worst thing. And proof is in the pudding. Look at how well the Aztecs have done the last couple of seasons with Matt Bradley running the show. It, it's worked. Generally, it's worked. But that transitions perfectly into our second point. And this is something that I've noticed picking up steam in terms of our guards. One of the things that was always a big knock on Lamont and his was his passing, was his assist-to-turnover ratio. And while I think it's improved for over last year, I definitely think that passing and, and is just generally our one of our guards' weakest skills. I think that they have – they, we've got two guys who are I would trust in catch-and-shoot situations. Lamont's on fire in that situation right now and is shooting it with confidence. And we all know that DT, let it fly, baby. Like, if you're open, shoot that ball. Seriously, we all trust you. That's a good shot. It hasn't been falling lately, but I think part of that might be because of his injury, which he might not have listed. Or We, we were going to do a show last week on it, but technical issues, all that good stuff. Um, he is wearing a sleeve on his calf, so I think it has been affecting him a little bit. Mm-hmm. But jump shooting, great. I, I think both of them can get to the basket. I mean, Lamont right now is just downhill, get out of his way, which is awesome. But even DT, even though they're not as successful, a lot of times it's you know a guy who is much smaller and two big guys jumping with him. That's not going to end well for him. He can still get to the hoop. They're both good at – being the you know the pat the assist before the, the the shot like on those short passes making the quick decision, but in terms of just like passes that absolutely wow you, compared to how many turnovers they have, just throwing the ball away. My gut and my eye is telling me that that number isn't it, it that it's correct. Like there's more they're not as good passing as as really any other skill that they possess. I think that's fair. And, and I think it's not as good as we'd like because, you know, we hold our guys to a higher standard, right? Or San Diego State. Um, when you look, of course, of course, right? When you look at team um, assist percentage, it's, it's about average. It's 171st in D1. When you look at the turnover percentage, it's a slightly above average. And if you look at assist to turnover ratio, it's slightly above average, right? But we don't compare ourselves to average, right? Um, Darion right now is in the 88th percentile in assist percentage, right? Which seems really good. Obviously, mm-hmm. over the past couple of games, like you mentioned, it's obviously been noticeable that he's just not been 100%. His assist percentage, you know, is really high, but the um, the number of assists, if you will, isn't as high as the percentage, right? Uh, Lamont, again, 81st percentile in assist percentage. Those are pretty good for your guards, your ball dominant guards. Um, Darion has a two to one assist turnover ratio, which is good. 
Lamont has a 1.4 assist to turnover ratio. I know, uh, you know, Dutch has said multiple times, you know, we want Lamont to be over two. Um, I think his role almost changing, if you will, has maybe played a little bit. It's not, you know, he's not there just to run the offense anymore. You know, he's, he's been a primary scorer over the past five or six games. Right. So maybe he's not um, being asked to, you know, be more of an assist guy than a scorer as you know, maybe he has in the past. Um, But I would call this like an observational stat, right? Like you, you use the word notice, you notice that, the pass, you know, the passing ability doesn't seem very high, right? But when I give you the numbers, it's not bad necessarily. Sure. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's also just part of the scheme. I mean, like you just mentioned, the play where you know um, you have Nate catch the ball and you go around all these screens. Seems like 15 seconds is dribbling above the three-point line, right? That's not necessarily a, a type of offense that's going to get you, you know some Jalen house type passes where he's getting into the teeth of the defense, right? He has all the options in the world, whether he wants to kick it, whether he wants to do a nice little dump around pass to a big, um, this, that, or the other. So I think your, your observation isn't wrong. We're slightly above average, but like I mentioned, we, we don't want to be above average. We want to be good to pretty good to very good. Yeah. And I think, I also think part of it is, I think if you just, are completely honest about how this season has gone and what are some of the biggest issues amongst the team. I think team identity is number one. I don't know if the players or the coaching staff know what are the best lineups, who's going to play the best together, what roles these people need to be in to maximize it, because we definitely see spikes in games where like Nevada where we just blow the doors off of them right the game was a lot closer than the scoreline flattered them significantly in that game right and there will be other games like that this year where we just rock teams and that's what good teams do Mm -hmm. however there are also games see Colorado State where you play down to your level of competition and you do not rock a team that, you know, I thought we, sh- we match up very well with. If you just look at the player-to-player matchups, I think we match up very well with them. Like, if you were to tell me you're playing Colorado State in, in the Mountain West tournament, I would sign up for that right now because I think that we're just a better team and don't match up. I understand the whole – they're doing the whiteout. They're having their big home, you know, return to students, all that stuff. It's on the road. There are no bad road wins. Um, I, I get that. I just feel like that was a perfect example of a game where I thought we would win by double digits, and we went to overtime. Now, granted, that team that came in overtime put it on them. And yep. that that segment was like, oh, this is the Aztec team yeah. we know and love. That was t- so I think that I think that part of that is goes back to the whole role thing because – DT, he let's be honest, he's not playing as a pass first guard, and neither is Lamont. They're both sharing this ball dominant player with a third in Matt Bradley. And it's like you got all three guys who kind of want to do the same thing. They all want the ball in their hands. They all want to either drive to the basket or catch and shoot. I mean, you could say that about Matt Bradley, about Lamont, and Trammell. 
all three of them. Mm. So it's it's just like this weird combination, and it's a great problem to have, right? Yeah. Because I think if you look at mic- micro trends as opposed to macro, they're trending up. They like a lot of the things that I didn't like in the beginning of the year. They're happening more. Ladies slowly getting more playing time, right? We're seeing more small ball lineups, which we're going to talk about in a second. And uh, we're also just seeing a consistency in the rotation. And that's something that will happen throughout the year and then get better at the end of the season. But I definitely think that just the lack of identity is really hurting them in this aspect, the playmaking aspect, because it's the least, you know, as being a playmaker, you need your the players to be in the right spots. You need plays to be called that allow you to facilitate those things. And it's just not happening. That's just not who this Aztec team is right now. So I think that also contributes to it. The other thing is the, the play, like there are, I think it's, they try for the special pass and it doesn't come off. And when you're not, when you don't have 11 assists in a game, that trying for the special pass really stands out. You mentioned it. He, his DT's assist numbers are down, but his assist-to-turnover ratio is getting better. But yep. when you have one turnover that's like, that was bad, but you only have four assists, that's very diff- That's what you're saying, the observation stat. I can yeah. totally see how that would come in and bleed into my argument, the eye test, because it's there's less volume. Yep. And we can't, Perfect. We can't properly weight you know, a bad turnover necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, and this is and, and we say all this with saying that I fully trust DT and Lamont with the ball in their hands. Absolutely. Being a playmaker, like, sign me up. This is not a knock on them. It's just just observation again. Which brings us to our final point. We teased it. We teased it with the small ball stuff. My single biggest gripe, frustration of this entire season is I believe that the starting lineup doesn't work as well as three or four other lineups do. Too frequently, are we, in the eye test is saying, we start poorly. For every Nevada game where we're just out of the blocks and crushing, there is a New Mexico game. There is a... Um, what was the game? It was against uh, Air Force that we struggled in the beginning uh, uh, at home. Um, I mean, it just seems like there are many times where we reach the first time out and it's 10 to two. It, Colorado State was that same way, I think, right? It was, we got the first basket and then they scored a, a few in a row and the first eight uh, timeout happened and we made subs and yep. there we go. So for some reason, and this could go back to the last point we made, which was identity. I think we need to change the starting lineup. So talk to me, give me some stats around that theory or, or why we should or shouldn't. Well, you mentioned to me a slow start. So what I did is I went back into the game log of um, all seven conference games. And I took the stats up until the first substitution off the bench, which, um, rel- which happened pretty much at the under 16 every single time, whether it was a little bit above 16 or even closer to the 15-minute mark. So, you know, there's that pattern, right? The the starting lineup's getting at least the first four minutes, you know, to start the game, which is fine because, you know, you got to get in rhythm. Um, sure. And I took the, the point differentials um, in total for those seven games. Um, 
the point differential through the first, say, four minutes in the seven uh, conference games is plus four total, plus four. So that's not even a point, right? And uh, if you if you take away um, last week's Air Force game, that would go to minus six because we were we were up uh, twelve to two at the under sixteen. Um, so the starting lineup off the tip is barely above zero, if you will, in terms of point differential, right? I'm not exactly sure what that, you know, why that's happening. Um, because these are a group of guys who have played with each other quite a few times. Yep. Um, so the only thing we can, there's a, is there's a, go ahead. Yeah, no, go say, ahead. There's only one new starter, right? Yeah, there's exactly. only one new starter. The only thing we can do as, you know, people thinking about this from a different perspective as a coach is, is what can we do to change that? And I know obviously you've said this all year and I, and I think I have too. And I think almost everybody has is, well, let's change the starting lineup. So, so what would we do? And if you look at, um, you know, a lot of the, the lineups we've used, and I'm just using the simple net rating stat, um, there's kind of, there's kind of two options. It's either you start Nate at the five or you go small and you start Jaden at the five. Um, if you're looking at an offensive perspective, you're starting Jaden at the five. If you look at a defensive perspective, you're starting Nate at the five. Um, I know we mentioned, what about sliding AG to the four instead of, you know, Keyshawn and play Ladie at the five and then go super small. And as we mentioned in the last segment, observation, right? It seems like when we start to play small, for whatever reason, we're really good. But then we sub this guy back out and we change it back into, you know, our starting lineup. And, you know, that's, that's kind of short lived. Um, now I know one thing that you mentioned is you would really like to see uh, the D start at the five or even the four, just start for goodness sakes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, yeah, those, those slow starts are concerning, you know, especially when you get into important games, for example, at New Mexico, at Utah state, at Nevada, at Boise State, which, by the way, we haven't played any of those teams. If you get into a 10-point hole, that's hard to claw back from, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, that's just kind of our, our suggestion or what we've seen is maybe maybe going smaller is better. Um, but uh, we, we can only hope, right? Yeah, I think that's this – is, this is one of the questions – that if I were to ask 10 Aztec basketball friends or Aztec basketball fans, who would you think is the optimal lineup to start? You might get 10 different answers. You, you really might, because I don't know if there is a perfect solution. Yep. Now I'd like to, for you, who do you believe if, if Jacob is the head coach for tomorrow, for tomorrow night's game against Utah State, and all things considered, well, who would your starting lineup be? Um, so I'd obviously i'd I'd keep uh, Tramel Butler and Bradley, and what I would do that's a good that's a good question. I would find a way to insert Jaden. The D into the lineup in some form, whether it's the four or the five. I know that's not very specific, but um, I just think 
he's he's been so good in the limited possessions that he's gotten, and I think it's pretty easy to tell. Um, all that makes you think is let's get him some more and see what he can do. Um, now, obviously, a game to game lineup might change based off of the size and this, that, and the other. But I just, you know, that's the one thing I've I've wanted all year is for Jaden to, you know, not only get some more run, but I mean, I think he's. I think he's a starting, you know, a starting forward in this offense regardless. Um, yeah, definitely. So, you know, that's what I would like to see. But um, like I said, it's only it's only what I would like to see. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the hardest part is the way that they're currently being played. Ladie and Mensa rarely play together. They rarely do. I think I like that lineup. I like the idea of going big effectively which i have been wildly against since i've been on this show this podcast i've hated every big lineup that we've ever put out but i don't think ladie is a traditional big i think he's a wing in a six foot eight is that how tall he is six eight six nine body and he's built like a truck and that's how they deploy him It, it but i don't think that's his natural position right when Ladie will be playing somewhere after, the, you know, professionally. He's too good of an athlete to not be. He will not be playing the five. He will be no. playing the four or the three. That's how it will work, right? So I think he's more along those lines of a player. Yeah. The biggest, the biggest thing is in this system with this team, I don't know if you can start, not start, Mensa. He's the great he's one of the all-time great Aztec big men, right? And defensively one of the best in the conference history. So, are you really going to bench that guy? I don't know. No. I don't and I wouldn't. And I wouldn't. Nope. Even though I don't think that the lineup is as optimized, I would start Mensa. I'm with you. I would also start Ladie at the four. I think that I think he just offers more than KJ. I think he he offers a matchup problem that KJ doesn't offer. Uh, I think that they, you know, I think that they're both comparable on wing defense. I don't think they're that good on on the perimeter on the wing. I think they're much better, you know, around the basket or maybe in the mid post. Not as much on the wing. I think on offense, I probably have equal confidence in their jump shots. And I like more of what Ladie gives me on rebounding and inside scoring. So I would insert Ladie there. Now, the biggest change from my, what I would like, what I think would be what I would do and what you would do, is that I wouldn't play the two guards. Because I think that that identity crisis hinders both of them. I would put Trammell on the bench, and I would bring Micah Parrish into the starting lineup. And I would go Butler, Bradley, Parrish, Ladie, Mensa. And I think that that lineup has about as much offense as the Aztecs can put on a court at once. <laughs> I think that that lineup is switchable. It's also, funnily enough, probably the most traditional NBA-style lineup that we could roll out on the court. Sub any of the guards for Lamont, right? 
but Matt Bradley as a two guard, Micah as a three, or vice versa, and then Lamont or uh, Ladie at the four, Mensa at the five, which is funny because I think we all agree and we all see it. We saw it last year. Small ball dominates, but I am going to play by the rules of the universe, and I don't know if a rope can be a starter. I don't know if a rope's body can handle being a starter. Because if he could, if, I, I honestly think if, it could, if he could handle it physically, he would have been starting last season. Like, it, it, I think he's – Yeah. We've, we talked about it on the last show. He is an all-time great role player for this team. And he offers so many things that the other players don't offer. His identity is never compromised because it will always be do those little things. Die for loose balls. Switch on every position. Be the best. I think he's probably a better post defender than Ladie is. And that's not a knock on Ladie. I just think that a rope is fantastic for that at that. Mm-hmm. But a rope's body is not gonna say is not gonna handle starter minutes. And that sucks because I think he's special. The other shout that I've heard is take one of the guards off and put in Seiko. That would also eliminate that identity crisis that I think our team has. And I honestly, if you wanted to put Lamont off the bench and kind of give him the keys to the the second team offense that plays the same amount of minutes as the starters, I think that will work. I think you will see that next year. I think it will be Lamont's running the entire show next year. Yeah. And if you wanted to start that journey – Right, the journey to that's where we're going next season early, I think that would be good. But those are the issues, right? And and I think Seiko could start, right? Seiko started yep. in the past. Um, yep. I remember a game, I think it was with Malachi's team. KJ was hurt, and he started next to, to Malachi, and he, like, went off or something like that. I, I think it was against Fresno, I, it, just off the top of my head. Um, could be completely wrong. <laughs> but I know that he could do it. Um, I don't know if let's just be frank. He's, he's, that's my lineup is never, ever, ever, ever going to happen. It's never going to happen Like as much as I want it. No. It's never going to happen. No. And that's one of the most frustrating parts because Dutcher has his style. We all seen it. It's predictable and that's fine. Look at the success we've had. Like we're winning. We're in first place. Even though this season might be, to me, you know, a little bit underwhelming, we're still in first place, yep. and tomorrow can go a, a full game, another game clear of who's in second, yep. right? So it's just, it, it, all that, all that being said, it's just not realistic, and so I think that making small changes is where you and I, the people who want the lineup changed, can kind of like meet in the middle. Yeah. of What is reality? Yeah, absolutely. And so I. I think that Ladie is that person. I think Ladie is the guy. He ain't starting Micah, who's young in the program. He's going to start. He loves his seniors, I, and I understand that. Like, I, I, I get that. Anyone who's ever managed a team understands veterans versus rookies and the mistakes that they make, and, and, or younger guys and women versus you know, more seasoned professionals. They just, make, they just act differently, and that's from experience. And so that's fine, but I think we all can agree – we want to see something different. This is a great, a great topic. So when we post this, after you've listened to this episode, 
I want you to give me your starting five on Twitter, okay? Give me your reasoning, who you'd bench, who you'd like to see. And if there's somebody out there that wants to keep the, st- the same starting five, I want you to come on the show to justify it, like, because that's how we all feel. But great show, Jacob. Thank you so much for the stats. Love hanging out with you as always. Uh, again, find Jacob on Twitter at Aztec Analytics. You can follow the show and Trone at Aztec Breakdown. You can follow me at Call Me Kinslow. We're everywhere where you need to be, right? Apple, uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, all those good places. Trone's got some cool articles coming out like he always does. Show them some love. And as always, if you want to say what's up at the game, just shoot me a message. I will be there tomorrow night. As long as we're not getting our butts kicked, I'll be willing to, to come and hang out with you. I'd love to, to kind of meet fans of the show. But, Jacob, any last points that you want to say before we roll out of here? Go Aztecs. Go Aztecs.